Good morning. My name is Stephen. I'm one of the pastors at Grace. Thank you for joining us, whether you're here in person or you're joining us online. We're glad that you're here on this second Sunday of Advent. Uh, If you weren't with us last week, we have started an Advent series looking at how COVID has actually turned Advent upside down on its head. But COVID itself isn't the true problem. It's actually revealing deep problems within us. And that's coming out in the way that we think, in the way that we feel, in what we say, in our attitudes, behavior, and speech. And Jesus is coming, his incarnation, what we're waiting for here in Advent has a lot to say to us about the deep problems that are being revealed. We lit the candle of love this morning, and yet for many of you, I suspect that you wouldn't describe the people you've interacted with over the past couple of months as loving. And chances are there are people out there that wouldn't describe you that way either. Thankfully, in the passage that we have before us this morning, we see Jesus interact with and speak to people who are not very loving, people just like us. We're looking at the Gospel of Mark this morning, uh, chapter 14. In the mobile bulletin, it says we're reading 3, verses 3 through 8, but this morning, I decided to change it up. We're reading 3 through 11, so you can follow along through verse 8, and then I'll read 9, 10, and 11 for you. Mark chapter 14, beginning in verse 3. And while he was at Bethany, in the house of Simon the leper, as he was reclining at table, a woman came with an alabaster flask of ointment of pure nard, very costly, and she broke the flask and poured it over his head. There were some who said to themselves indignantly, why was this ointment wasted like that? For this ointment could have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor, and they scolded her. But Jesus said, leave her alone. Why do you trouble her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. For you will always have the poor with you, and whenever you want, you can do good for them, but you will not always have me. She has done what she could. She has anointed my body beforehand for burial. And truly, I say to you, wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. Then Judas Iscariot, who was one of the twelve, went to the chief priests in order to betray them, him to them. And when they heard it, they were glad and promised to give him money. And he sought an opportunity to betray him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please pray with me. Oh God, this morning we come before you and we confess that we have not been loving. That we are not as loving as we should be. And so we ask that you would send your spirit into our hearts. So that the words of the gospel contained in this passage would melt our hearts. That we would... Uh, be willing to let go of the control and order that we cling to, that we would willing, be willing to love as we have been loved, to sacrifice as we've been sacrificed for. I pray that my words would fall to the ground and only your words remain. And I pray this in the mighty name of your son, Jesus. Amen. I can't order fast food. Now, it's not that I can't eat it. I have no problem against it. I love eating fast food. Just for some reason, whenever I get into the drive through line, something happens inside of me, and I can't get the ordering thing down. This isn't a joke. You can ask Nicole and our girls. Every time I get into the drive through line, I turn into the most awkward, forgetful human that you've ever met. For example, we're waiting in line at Chick-fil-A. I know what my girls want to eat. They both want chicken nugget meals. 
They both want a fruit cup. One wants chocolate milk and one wants lemonade. And we get to the speaker and they say, hi, welcome to Chick-fil-A. What can I get for you? And I say, I'll have uh, two kids meals. And then I just wait. I'm like waiting for them to ask me what kind of kids meals, chicken nugget kids meals. Then there's another pause. It's like I'm waiting for them to approve of the choice that I've made. Well done. Our chicken nugget kids meals are our best option for you. Never happens. There's just awkward silence. Finally, they'll say, do you want sides with that? And with that question, I've forgotten what sides there are. And so I ask them. And from the back, always I hear, dad, we told you fruit cups. Then I suppose that the person on the other end has forgotten that they offer fruit cups as an option. So I'm like, instead of the waffle fries, is it possible to get fruit cups? And they're like, additional fruit cups? And it just becomes awkward. So eventually it always ends with, I'm really sorry, let me start over every time. But this isn't like a household thing, right? This doesn't happen to all of us. We get into the drive-thru when Nicole's driving. She gets up and she's like, we'll have two kids' meals, both with chicken nuggets, both with fruit cups, one with chocolate milk, one with lemonade, one number one with Chick-fil-A sauce and a sweet tea, and that's it. (laughs) Apparently, it's just me. There's some kind of system of communication that I I just can't get down. I just fumble through it. I, I mess it up and it flusters me. It confuses the person on the other end, and it frustrates everyone in the car because they have to repeat their order time and time again. In a similar way, the scene here in Bethany illustrates for us what happens when the order that we want for our lives is upset, when expectations aren't met, when our systems for making life work are disrupted. When this woman comes in to dinner and pours the contents of this jar over Jesus, a pervasive lovelessness ignites the dinner guests seated around Jesus. And strangely, instead of addressing the woman that has interrupted everything, Jesus addresses the people who are upset, both with his actions and his words. The system of life that they had all come to expect had been upended by this woman. They looked down on her. They scold her. And Jesus knows they're feeling that way. And he doesn't let it slide. You see, for us, loss of order leads to loss of love. But Jesus welcomes and loves the messy. Those are our two points this morning. Loss of order leads to loss of love. This dinner took place on Wednesday before Jesus would be arrested and executed on Friday, just two days away. Jesus is staying with some friends in the town of Bethany, which is outside the walls of Jerusalem. We might say a bedroom community for Jerusalem. And the meal that they're having is interrupted by this crazy scene. The Gospel of John tells us that Mary, the brother of Lazarus, or the sister of Lazarus, shows up, possibly just a couple days after Jesus has raised Lazarus from the dead. And she has with her an alabaster flask. Alabaster is a mineral. It's a soft stone that's carved into beautiful, ornate things. And in this case, it's a flask, uh, kind of like soapstone or jade might be carved. And this is incredibly expensive in and of itself. But inside this flask, there is this ointment made from pure nard, Nard is an oil from a root. I looked all this up because I've read this a hundred times and I knew nothing about what this was. And it's used as a perfume, which is incredibly valuable because people back then were stinky. So she has this valuable flask filled with this valuable ointment 
As it says in the passage, it was worth at least 300 denarii, which most people agree would be at least one year worth of wages. But most scholars think that this was a family heirloom that had been passed down to her, so worth far more than just those 300 denarii. And notice what she does. Verse 3, she doesn't drizzle it. She doesn't take a, a swab and kind of rub some on his forehead. She cracks that thing open like an egg and pours it all over Jesus. What happens when you're sitting at dinner and someone spills their drink on the table? What does everybody do? They gasp. They all push their chairs back. Maybe somebody leans forward to try and prevent the water or drink or whatever from spilling all over them. Imagine that shock times a hundred. But notice this. It's not the spilling of the oil, the pouring of the oil, the interrupting of the meal that upset people. What made them so indignant? Verse 4, there were some who said to themselves indignantly, why was this ointment wasted like that? For this ointment could have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor, and they scolded her. This was just two days before Passover, Many, many, many Jews had come from miles around to Jerusalem in order to celebrate Passover together, and it was common for Jews to give an offering for the poor alongside their Passover sacrifice. There was a proper way for this ointment to be sold and given. There was a proper place for this artifact in the religious worship of Jerusalem, and she's wasted it all. That's it. That's the order that has been upset. She has interrupted their social and religious expectations, and they are mad. They scold her. This is where we are all at right now. Our control has been taken away. The expected social order of our lives has been shaken up by COVID itself, by other people in leadership who make decisions that we wouldn't make, by our fellow citizens and even family members who respond to everything differently than we respond, than we want them to respond. And like the people reclining at table with Jesus, our loss of order leads us not to love them, not to even pity those other people who are different than us, but to scold them. In our hearts, behind their backs, over the internet, sometimes even to their faces. We are indignant. We are angry. We are loveless. I I saw this in myself this past week. I read an article about the mayor of Austin, Texas, who uh, posted a video to all of the people who live in Austin, encouraging them to stay home, to limit all kinds of travel, to do whatever they had to do, to not go out of their houses. But he filmed the video while on vacation in Mexico. And I about lost it. Who does that? Who suppresses the lives of their people while exercising their superiority, while taking up their entitlement and being on vacation in Mexico, telling everybody to stay home? I don't like being told what to do. This is outrageous. How could this person do that? And in the same week, I was upset in the opposite direction. When I saw our own mayor, Sam Licardo, post an apology because he attended Thanksgiving in his parents' backyard. 
he and his family went over to his parents' house along with another family member. The three households had been meeting together as a, a bubble throughout shelter in place. And they had Thanksgiving together outside, socially distanced. But then a family member that they weren't expecting showed up. Another brother came. He wasn't expecting it. And he had to apologize for that because people were going crazy. And I about lost it. Why should anybody troll someone else so hard that they have to apologize for spending time with their family, for eating Thanksgiving with their family? And the person that showed up wasn't expected. How could people be so judgmental? I don't want to have to ever explain myself to anyone. I don't want to have to justify why I do everything. I want to just do what I think is best and move on. I felt the order that I expected out of life jeopardized in both cases from different directions, and I was livid in both ways. You're here too. There is disdain with which we talk about people who are different from us, who are responding differently than we are. I hear you talking about people who don't want to wear a mask and people who want everyone to wear a mask. I see what you post about people who voted Republican and voted Democrat, and I know how each of you responded when we at first stopped meeting in person, and then when we chose as a church to gather together again, we are all in this place of lovelessness because the order is shaken up. The system of our lives has been upended. Order creates comfort. It creates familiarity. It creates safety, right? If a certain process is followed, a certain outcome can be expected. Control to us is like a drug, and when it's taken away, we are looking for someone to blame, someone to rage against. The order of this dinner is disrupted. The social rules are broken like the alabaster flask. The people are indignant. But how does Jesus respond? Jesus welcomes and loves the messy. Now, the focus of this passage the, the primary message that Jesus is getting across here to these people is that their time together is coming to an end. Jesus wants them to realize that these are the final days they will be together. Does Jesus want the people around him, God's family, to care for the poor? Yes, of course. Does he want them to give sacrificially to their needs? Absolutely. Does he want God's family to be willing to let go of the things the earth tells us to put our hope in? Yes, we talked about that last week. But what he's saying here to that group that's sharing this meal is that it was more appropriate for Mary to worship Jesus like this than it would have been for her to sell the ointment and give to the poor as an act of worship. This is really important. And I want to look at this because what Jesus says about what she's done speaks directly to our situation. Verse 6, Jesus says, Leave her alone. Why do you trouble her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. And then in verse 8, she has done what she could. She has anointed my body beforehand for burial. Jesus is talking about what she's done. Obviously, you heard me emphasize the word done here, but it's actually two different words. In verse 8, he says she has done what she could, emphasizing her use of what she had. What was available to her? A more literal, literal translation might be, she has worked with what she owned. 
She wanted to do something for Jesus, to worship him, to express her love and thankfulness for him. He raised her brother from the dead. She knew him to be more than just a good teacher, more than just a miracle worker. She knew him to be God, and she wanted to worship him, so she used what she had. She found what was available to her. And this is different from Jesus' statement in verse 6. She has done a beautiful thing. Different wording. Maybe a better way to translate it to help us understand is, her effort has become a beautiful product to me. Jesus' response to their indignation, to their lovelessness is, she used what she had available and she worked it into something beautiful. Is Jesus mad that the other people at dinner aren't finding their own family heirlooms in order to pour over his head, worth years of salary in order to worship him? No. Jesus isn't concerned with the product. He's not concerned with the outcome. He cares about the heart, and he cares about the intention. This past September, for Nicole's birthday, our girls decided they wanted to make her a tie-dye cake. We'd been watching a lot of uh, Kids Baking Championship. They saw these 10-year-olds making beautiful tie-dye cakes on there and decided, Daddy's older than 10. He can help us make a tie-dye cake. Um, No, didn't work out so well. Found the recipe, bought the food coloring, mixed it all in, did exactly what we saw on TV. And I kid you not, the cakes that came out were about that thick. And they were colored, but mostly brown. (laughs) Even though we used neon food coloring, everything just kind of mixed together. So after the girls went to bed, I went out and got more cake supplies and more food coloring, and I made some more so that we could stack four of them up so that would be a little bit bigger, a little bit nicer. Even though it was brown and tie-dyed brown, it would still be a great cake. But I iced the cake while it was still warm. And so the icing didn't stick to the cake. The cake stuck to the icing. So it wasn't just a white frosted cake on the outside. It was filled with cake crumbs. But you know what? When Nicole got the cake the next day, she wasn't critical of it. She didn't sit there and judge it like we were on Kids Baking Championship. She loved it because she knew the heart that it was coming from, right? A messy cake made out of love is still delicious. This is the reality of life that I hope we can all see, not just in the midst of COVID, but it's exaggerated by COVID. You don't know what other people have to work with, what thoughts, what emotions, what experiences. You don't know what COVID has done to and left people with, what losses they've experienced, what scars they have, what emotions they're left with, what's available to them. And if you don't know that, How can you judge if their actions are beautiful or orderly or right? Disorder doesn't equal wrong. Something outside of your system of life and response doesn't mean that life is spiraling out of control, especially if it's just your order and your system that we're talking about. Our sinful hearts do that. We find a way to live that seems to work. We create a system of life, an order that we want to follow, and we put a term on that the right way to live. People who fit in to our control, into our system, easy to love. But Jesus loves those who don't fit in anywhere, who are messy, who we might look at and see as disordered and outside of the system that works for our lives. Jesus loves those people so much that he's willing to die for them, 
which is what he says here at the end. She has anointed my body beforehand for burial. And that statement, that one phrase alone was outside of the realm of possibility for some. Judas, who is here at this dinner, hears this once again. He hears Jesus proclaim that he is going to die. Even though he's the Messiah, he's willing to die, and Judas has had enough. It's at this point that Judas gets up and leaves to go betray Jesus. See, the notion that the Messiah would willingly die doesn't fit in with Judas's expectations, nor the expectations of Jews for generations. The Messiah was supposed to come victoriously as a king and gather all of Israel together from all of the nations and cast out Rome and defeat all of their enemies and reestablish God's order, the correct system, the right way to live. Dying isn't on that menu. That's out of order for Judas, and he could no longer put up with it. He could no longer love someone who said such things. Messiness, disorder, and broken expectations don't equal the absence of God or his favor or his work. This is the point of the sermon where you're probably expecting me to say, you should go back to those people or that person that you were short with, that you yelled at, the person that you judged you got in a Facebook posting match with. You the, talked about them behind their back or, or judged them. And you should apologize. And you should love them in the midst of their mess, just as Jesus loved messy Mary. If you're expecting that, that's probably pretty good. You should do that. It's a good idea. But there's something more, something more important that I want us to notice first. Jesus did come, and he did establish God's system the order of life that God wants for his people, for his creation. And you and I have demonstrated by our lack of love for people around us, by our commitment to an idolatry of order and systems, that we are the disordered ones. We are the messy ones. Our hearts don't fit with God's system. We don't live up to his expectations. Your family your coworkers, your spouse, your kids, the government, that other side, they don't need order. You need Jesus. And that's why Advent is so powerful. Because we are confronted with our need for love, our need for help, our need for rescue, and the reality that we ourselves are too messy to do anything about it. And in the way we would not expect, Jesus shows up, not triumphantly, not ordained as king, set above everybody else, defeating all of his enemies, but in humility, in service, and in weakness, yet full of love and hope. He comes to us to love the messy and disordered and broken. Advent should shape how we look at order and control and messiness. It should begin to reshape our values from holding tightly to order and control and systems to holding tightly to people and to love. Tim McGraw is a country artist, and uh, he has a song that I think is really helpful for us to see what it might look like for our lives to be changed from holding tightly to output and to systems and order to people and to love. Now, the, the song is a little cheesy, but I, I do want you to listen to the lyrics. It's pretty helpful. Um, it's set in the story of the singer having a conversation with a friend. 
The friend is a man in his 40s who has been diagnosed with cancer. He sat on a hospital table, saw the scans, and the singer asks, how has your life changed? How is anything different? What are you thinking? What's happened since you found this out? And the, the friend responds with a few little lighthearted things. Well, you know, life is different. I went skydiving. I went Rocky Mountain climbing. I rode 2.7 seconds on a bull named Fu Manchu. But then things change, and this friend starts to talk about the deep impact that this event had in his life. He said, I loved deeper, and I spoke sweeter, and I gave forgiveness I'd been denying. I was finally the husband that most of the time I wasn't, and I became a friend a friend would like to have. I finally read the good book, and I took a good, long, hard look at what I'd do if I could do it all again. And the refrain of that song is really powerful. The friend says to the singer, I hope you get the chance to live like you were dying. But for the Christian, it's not living like you were dying, but living knowing that life has been guaranteed to you. Not just any life, but life to the fullest. So opposite of what we feel now. Our lives are out of order. Our systems are crashing down. We are the messy people and Jesus comes to us. Not to get us in shape, not to straighten us out, to get us back in line, but to love us, to die for us so that we can be with him forever. In the face of that truth, let me ask you this. How important is control? How important is order, the system that makes your life work? Let's pray together. God, we come before you humbled by the reality that your son would willingly give up control, would willingly make himself a sacrifice for us, that he would love us that much, that he would be arrested and tried and beaten and executed for us. We thank you for Jesus, and we thank you that what that means, his death and resurrection, means that we know for sure that we have life and life in abundance with you forever. We ask that you would help us let go of control to give up the idolatry we have over making things work and trust that you are with us, that you are working things out, and that you came for us to love us in the midst of our mess. We pray this in the mighty name of your son, Jesus. Amen.